Please open your Bibles to the 49th Psalm. I hope that some of you have already considered this psalm. We have considered it numerous times ourselves, and yet it reveals mysteries to us the world knows nothing about. They go on perpetuating their lies of ignorance. And we have much hope in this psalm, though most of its verses are dedicated to condemning the wicked. I want to give you the key to it before and after we read it. The key to this psalm and understanding its words, all of which are plain except the fifth verse, where we are told in the fourth verse that it is a parable and a dark saying. The key is in the ninth verse, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. The key is the revelation that some live forever and are made incorruptible. The key is also found in the 14th and 15th verses where there's a great contrast between the wicked and the righteous. Verse 14 tells us, Like sheep, speaking of the wicked, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. And the upright, different class of persons, shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But... Here's the contrast. God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. I shall receive you unto myself from John 14 earlier this morning. Selah. Stop and consider these things. With those three verses, we have a contextual framework for understanding all the verses, especially the fifth verse, which gives commentators Great consternation. If they would just read ahead to the ninth verse and 14 and 15, it should be easy enough. We'll, I'll show you in a moment. Let's all rise together and read the precious inspired words of God that separate us from the wicked and give us great hope for the future, Amen. an eternal future. The Word of God, Psalm 49, together in unison. Hear this, all ye people, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the harp. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. 
For he seeth that wise men die. Likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. This their way is their folly. Yet their posterity approve their sayings. Selah. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. And the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul. And men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I thank God for these fabulous words of anthropology and philosophy given to us by the Holy Spirit and the pen of David, our brother. Wonderful words. The ignorance of man is unbelievably great. No generation has a corner on ignorance because they continue to perpetuate it from one generation to another. I want you to remind, I want to remind you again that the key to the psalm is the ninth verse and the fourteenth and the fifteenth verses, which if you read, you understand that a contrast is being drawn between God's future certain plans for the wicked and his future certain plans for the righteous. They're called the rich because there's a point to be made from riches. The world thinks that by their riches or their honor or their greatness, that they may find a way out of this dilemma of the condemned race we're part of. But it's their folly, and yet their posterity approves it, though they have funerals comparable to ours for all their ancestors. They're thrown into graves like sheep, and death is on them. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. The second verse tells us that. Whether you're low or high, we're all together in a state of condemnation, except we have a Savior, and they don't. The key is in the ninth verse, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. With the spectacles of New Testament 
religion, we are able to understand that we shall live forever. We are able to understand that when our bodies are put in the ground, they're only sleeping. The Bible tells us so. We understand that the power of the grave has been defeated because you and I have a brother that took the grave on head first. And they sealed it as well as the Roman government, the greatest empire of this world that ever existed, could guarantee it would not be touched. But it was touched from the inside out because the Lord Jesus Christ tore the bars away. And an earthquake brought dead there was so much so much residual power in his resurrection that dead saints came out of cemeteries and walked into Jerusalem and knocked on doors believest thou this amen right incredible power of the lord jesus christ we've been delivered from that the contrast is between the wicked like sheep in the 14th verse, and the righteous being redeemed out of the power from of that grave and received by God. And we're supposed to stop and consider that. And with that information in mind, the psalm becomes easy. The first three verses are an appeal to all men. It's a universal appeal and a universal warning of wisdom. The bottom line in one word, listen. Listen. Give ear. What does give ear mean? Listen. Hear this. What does listen mean? Hear this. Your life is nothing. It's going to be snuffed out and you're going to be tossed into a grave. Your honor will not descend with you. You will not take your glory with you. And you will carry nothing from this world. Why do we put so much stock in our transportation called an automobile or a car or a motorcycle? So much in our dwelling place. There's another dwelling place where we're going to spend forever. So listen, hear this, all ye people. Give ear all the inhabitants of the world because there is no nation nor language that is free from the curse and condemnation of this chapter. Both low and high, there is no economic status, nor is there any political position, nor is there any esteem or respect by men that will deliver you from this judgment. Rich and poor, low and high, they're all together in the matter, and they should all listen. Because the psalmist, by the inspiration of the living God who created us, and who chose to put you into a state of condemnation by creating your soul and spirit and bringing you into this world, declares this in the third verse, Through David, my mouth shall speak of wisdom. That God is going to tell us that there is an escape out of it. That there is hope in the midst of hopelessness. That there is eternity in the midst of great temporalness. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. That third verse tells us in the verses that follow, the next 17 verses, there is wisdom to be had. The world does not acquire this wisdom. They continue on in their courses of heaping to themselves more and more things and troubling themselves in the pursuit and keeping of those things. Yet they don't learn the lesson that they're going to die and not carry a thing with them and they're going to be consumed in the grave and there's going to be another race of people that will rule over them in that eternal morning. 
We will sit in judgment on the wicked, including the wicked angels, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What a morning. And we'll have dominion over them. And God has arranged it that way for His great glory by lifting us up as His only, His, His sons by adoption. Those are the first three verses. Verses four through five. First of all, thank you, Lord, for telling us in the fourth verse that you've got a parable and a dark saying because when we read the fifth verse, we agree. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil? When the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about. A compass is able to draw a circle of 360 degrees. It's coming at you from every angle. And so you have iniquity all around you of where you have walked in this world. But why should you be afraid? Praise God. That's what we're in here for. You look like you're mourning. We are. I'll never get to tell my mother again that I love her in this world. She'll never get to tell me again. That was the best sermon I ever heard. Our mourning is this big. Our hope and our rejoicing is this big. Amen. This day will pass. But while this day exists, I will make mention of my mother, my father's wife, my brother's mother, my sister's mother, and the grandmother and great-grandmother of many, and a friend and a sister to many of you. Amen. I'm not afraid for my mother. And my mother wasn't afraid. I'll tell you more later today. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil? What are the days of evil? The days of evil are what my mother went through for the last nine years. And the days of evil got worse and worse. The days of evil are described for us by those that terminology in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. They're the decay of the human body. And they're called evil days. The world can deceive you, and if, if you're foolish enough to believe them, they're not the golden years. They stink. Because you're rotting. I'm rotting. Our bodies are rotting. There's a principle of sin and a power of sin in our bodily members that is sucking the life out of us while you sit there. It doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter how you exercise. It doesn't matter about your physicians because you're not going down because of a disease. You're going down because of a curse. And it's the curse of sin because God told Adam and Eve in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And they did and we do. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil when those evil days come and I'm losing my physical vitality? My bodily composition is changing. My mental abilities are declining. When those evil days come and they're described in graphic detail, every bodily part, including your private parts, are listed in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the first seven verses, because they're all degenerating. But in that day, wherefore should I fear? Why should I be afraid? as I watched that happen to my mother. When the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about. We are all sinners. And because we're all sinners, our bodies are cursed because of sin. 
And they're going to die. The principle of sin is in our bodies, but we have a new man and a spirit that lives forever. And it's going to get a rejuvenated, regenerated, resurrected, glorified replacement body from this body. And it's coming. Wherefore should I fear? Let them be afraid. I remember fellow officers, and I've told you this many times, I watched Catholics in a bank setting of, of officers that had worked together with each other for many years, when one of them would die, they didn't want to go to the funeral because they didn't want to see their colleague stretched out in that box. I don't blame them. They shouldn't have wanted to go. Because that's where they're going and there's no hope for them. The power of the grave is going to suck them down, down, down into hell. When they're resurrected and put back together with their bodies, and the wicked will be put together with their bodies, so their bodies can suffer eternal torment forever. We'll have dominion over them in the morning. Verse 6 takes up the wicked. You know, the, wick, the, the rich, the wealthy, excuse me, they are the wicked, but they're the rich and the wealthy of the wicked. They that trust in their wealth and boast the multitude of their riches, the lifestyles, the rich and famous, none of them, not a single one of them, by any means, there is no amount of money, there is no amount of effort or ability or power or discovery to redeem his brother, a close companion, a physical brother, a sibling, he cannot redeem him, nor give to God a ransom to buy him back. There's no price to pay to stop death laying its claim upon the wicked, even if they're wealthy. For the redemption of their soul is precious. In parentheses, the Holy Spirit tells us, because the price is far beyond what can ever be paid, right, we can never bring anything. And so when we come to the cross, we bring nothing except our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the precious price of His own precious blood as His life departed from Him And he commended his spirit into the hands of God, and his body died. But he raised it from the dead. The redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. God sent his son to lay down his life for the elect. It is a done, finished, it is finished. Jesus cried transaction from the cross of Calvary. It cannot be added to in the persons for which it was extended, nor in the certainty of the salvation it secured. It is finished that he should still live forever and not see corruption. They trust in their wealth, but none of them can stop what is going to happen to them, that he should still live forever and not be corruptible. They can't stop it. And then verses 11 through 13 describe their ignorance and their folly by perpetuating the lie of mankind that life, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's a bumper sticker from our neighbors in this world. He who dies with the most toys wins. He who dies with the most toys by Psalm 49 doesn't take a single toy with him. He who dies with the most toys, according to Psalm 49, is going to be eaten alive by death and then consumed in the grave. They see that all kinds of men die. 
But their inward thought is, verse 11, that they're going to last a long time and be famous forever. Verse 12, man being an honor abideth not. He's like the beast that perish. It doesn't matter what kind of honors are given to him in this world. Yet their posterity approves such sayings. Like sheep, they're laid in the grave. Death feeds on them and the, dimin- and the upright, the righteous, the saints, believers, the elect, call them whatever you will, are going to have dominion over them in the morning. Right. Resurrection morning, and I don't mean one 2,000 years ago, I mean one two or 20 years from now, resurrection morning, we're going to have dominion over them. They can say or do whatever they want now. It doesn't matter. Verse 15, but, and you know how much I love the inspired disjunctives in our Bible. When God says, but, he's drawing a contrast between two things. And in verse 14, it's the wicked falling into their graves to have us ruling over them when they wake up one of these days when God resurrects their bodies. And then verse 15 is the contrast, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. Amen. We are still waiting for one phase of our adoption. We are the sons of God in a legal way, in an eternal way, in a vital way. We have a new man within us. But there's another phase of adoption we're waiting for, and it's called the redemption of our body. Our body is going to be bought back from the grave. Jesus Christ is going to come and with a shout raise all the dead bodies. And we shall live forever with Him. Verse 15 is declaring that in prophetic beauty. From Psalm 49, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. That powerful grave and the power of the grave is given to it by these words. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The devil does not have direct power of death. The devil has indirect power of death by helping to have seduced our first parents to disobey God because it is God's justice that sends us to the first death and to the second death. But that grave does not have power over the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. He's already defeated it. For he shall receive me. God is, God is going to redeem me. He's going to take me up out of that grave. And he's going to receive me and embrace me. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. Oh, in the arms of my dear Savior, there are 10,000 charms. Amen. Yes, I got to sing that to mother a few times. I'd sing it with my lips on her forehead so she could feel the vibrations. I don't know how much she understood. I know how much she understands now. She's thinking, that's a pretty pitiful sermon he's preaching down there. Because she has a full knowledge of the truth. Selah. Don't be afraid when the rich are made rich. In verse 16, when the glory of his house increases, when there's famous people and they're getting away with sin, don't worry about that. Don't be envious of them. They die and all, it, all of it ends, yet they never learn. Don't, for, don't be envious of them. The Bible tells us not to be envious. Don't fear them and don't be ignorant like they are. Don't be like the wicked. He's going to go to the generation of his fathers. According to verse 19, I hope you will remember those words. You'll need them. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. He has a set of fathers that have gone before him that are in the grave and are going to be under the eternal judgment of God. And he's going to go join them. And they, all of them together, shall never see light because the mist 
of the blackness of darkness is reserved for them forever. Second right. Peter 2, 17. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. They're animals in our universities. They're animals in the pulpits of this country. The majority of the pulpits. Let's not be like that. We have come into this house this day to open the Word of God to listen for the wisdom and the understanding of God that He told us in the first three verses. He used a parable. Then He explained it to us that there's a great difference made. And brethren, these little lives down here are so short. And as Solomon would tell us, who tried more things than all of us can try together, he said, all is vanity. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. So let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so ends the philosophical book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes. God help us. Amen. Amen.